Oscar Poker. This song is called Hurricane. If you got any political pull at all, maybe you can help us get this man out of jail, back onto the streets. What are your thoughts about what happened this weekend? Uh, the, the term that I am giving to it, I think that this is a... Uh, I read it on the on, uh, to a responder to, to one of my posts, and also Howard Kurtz of the Washington, of the um, uh, Huffington Post calls it uh, weather porn. <laughs> which is the, uh, the media, uh, the newscasters, just completely committing to the idea that we have a... Uh, a Roland Emmerich movie on our hands, real, uh, real time. Right. And, and this is it. And you know, they, well, they're, they're never going to be uh, called on the carpet for uh, underselling a potential hurricane threat. And there, everybody's mindful of Katrina. Everybody is mindful of what, God forbid, could happen if a hurricane were to manifest, and it's like at level two, let's say, or God forbid, a level three. They go up to five. Uh, it was very clear from the time it was down in, we're talking about Hurricane Irene, of course, that it, when it was down in uh, North Carolina, mm. uh, uh, it was not anything more than a level one. And the likelihood of it sustaining the, the, the power that it had in North Carolina was zero to, you know, like slim to none. Mm-hmm. And of course, it didn't. It, it got degraded to a uh, tropical storm by the time it hit Manhattan. And you could just see those newscasters. They're out there just looking to build that drama up. You know, wow, look at that turbulence. You know, wow, feel that, that, that wind. They're doing everything they can to uh, give everybody the sense that this is pretty formidable. This is pretty heavy. What they're trying to do, basically, is to, is to justify uh, to everyone, themselves, to their bosses, everybody, that they made the right call in playing this up so heavily. Hmm. Well, I mean, I sort of feel two ways about it. Like, I, there's no reason for them not to play it up because we've been hearing all these warnings about super storms and temperatures are rising everywhere and nobody knows when it's going to be that Katrina-like hurricane and nobody knows if it will or not. Hurricanes are totally unpredictable. They can turn um, yeah. at a moment's notice, as Katrina did. It looked like it was dying down, but it circled back around and it became more powerful. In the Gulf, it did that. It never does that. It has done that in the past. Um, it does do it. I don't think that, but but that's all beside the point. I mean, the real truth is that it's high ratings. I mean, obviously, it's news for profit. I didn't even, I never turn on the news, and I only turned it on to watch the hurricane. So, you know, 
that's it. I mean, it's like Oscar season for us, for the news people. <laughs> it's like hurricane season. That's when all the ratings go up, you know? Here's Howard Kurtz's story this morning. Not everyone was willing to accept this turn of events, meaning that it's, it was downgraded to a tropical storm. When the Weather Channel's Brian Norcross told MSNBC that forecasters had been expecting the first hurricane to make landfall in New York City since 1893, quote, and it didn't happen, anchor Alex Witt was openly skeptical. Really, Brian? She asked. Hadn't Irene technically still been a hurricane when it came ashore in New York an hour earlier? Can't we still go with that? No, Norcris said. They really, really wanted this to be something much more. And I, I swear, I just, they were, uh, it was like people that were giving a party and, uh, and they had media come over and then they realized that not that many people were coming to the party and they, and, oh. You know. I see what you're saying. So it's not so much you're saying it's horrifying that they covered it. You're saying it's funny that, that people treated it so... Um, yeah, people did. were so excited could, about it, like the Super Bowl. Yeah, and they started to sort of quietly freak out once they realized uh, that they had did not have a, a, a big story on their hands. They had a, a shortfall or something that doesn't mm. uh, really uh, play in Roland Emmerich uh, disaster movie terms at all. <laughs> well, I'm on. Didn't you feel slightly disappointed? <laughs> I mean, I did. Uh, somewhat, yeah. I, I mean, was waiting for the big one. They were playing it up as this, and I, I knew, I mean, they're just whores. They just don't have any scruples. They, uh, it's just struck me. Well, was, is it they or we? I mean, I, I sort of think it's everybody. Um, I not we want something that. to happen. We want drama. You know, we're not, we're hungry. We're, you know, right. the beast can never be satisfied. We're right. not satisfied within a 24-hour period. We're not satisfied. It's like, you know... Um, you'd think that certain disaster movies or real-life disasters would hold us over for a while, but it doesn't. It's like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. We need something to tweet about. We need something to blog about. We need something to talk about. You know, We have all this information um, uh, capability at our disposal. We want to use it. You know, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's just the news. You can't blame them. And it's like, God, it's everybody. It's even me. I mean, I was looking on Twitter for... Um, I wanted to see, like, you know, the Empire State Building swing and the 100-mile-an-hour winds, you know, yeah. because it's New York. I mean, if it was anywhere else, no one would care, but when things happen to New York, everybody pays attention, so right. I don't know. I mean, I I wish that uh, I'm glad that everybody's safe and that nobody died, you know, but I, I do think that we need to check ourselves. It's like, are we watching a disaster movie? What are we watching when we're watching real life online now? Our, our lives as a drama. We see our lives as a soap opera. We see it as a comedy, but we do see it in dramatic terms. We do see it as in, in terms of how entertaining, uh, you know, how, how vivid and, and, and uh, you know, memorable are our lives. And we don't want to live tepid, boring lives. We want to live lives that are uh, we can tell our grandchildren about so you know. exactly we want to be there now you know and um that's a scary time to be living in in a way like it's really high stress if you're plugged into this online world you know i mm -hmm. mean if you step out of it it doesn't matter right. um obviously if you just unplug and walk away and then you're just reading the newspapers you you won't get any of the hysteria and the hype turn on the tv look at the internet and that's where it all happens you know but it is an alternative reality it's not reality Right. We just have to remember that, you know, teach our children that. Uh, here's the uh, Oh, wait, so no Phil. We have no Phil Contrino this week? No, because he, his uh, internet, even though it was fine up until recently, just went out for some reason. You know. Oh, okay. People are losing, of course, power, and they are probably losing internet service. And the, uh, they're, they're actually turning the trains back on uh, in New York as of 3 p.m. today, which is to say in less than an hour they'll be running again. 
there's a here's how, I was chewed out by a guy named Discman. I just like to say this. He said, you know, he th he said, how many people have to die from this storm before you classify it as something other than a shortfaller? And my response, which Dylan and I were talking about last night when we were at the old place, that you know, um, as sorry and and sad, obviously, as it is to anyone if they are uh, their life is taken by something like a storm or an accident or a car crash or anything mm -hmm. that just happens. But people die all the time from all kinds of mishaps. This is just, I'm sorry. Uh, I wish that everybody uh, lived forever, but it, they don't. And it, it happens on a daily basis. Uh, uh, you know what's worse than, than Hurricane Irene? Hmm. Black Friday. The... Uh, you mean when the stock market crashed? No, the after Thanksgiving uh, big sale at, store, at stores. Oh. <laughs> you know what happens? People die due to being pushed and shoved and trampled uh, by people pushing their way in. And, and you know, there, there's a big uh, surge to go to stores. That uh, 13 people died from Black Friday. I think it was last year or something. I have a link on my site. People die from all kinds of things every day. It's, it's you know, um, I'm sorry. Uh, my parents or my sister or my brother were to die from Hurricane Irene, I would not be blithe and unmoved by it. But it just happens. I'm sorry. But, you know, assigning that, that, that you know, the weather, weather conditions cause the deaths of some people is like, why don't we have a, a daily day of mourning for people that died in car crashes, that people that died from cigarette smoking, that, that died from all kinds of self-inflicted or accidental? It's, it's not a significant thing, statistically, I'm sorry. I don't think so either, but I don't, I don't know, I don't measure the, the scariness of the hurricane by deaths particularly. I, I measure it by what we're kind of watching happen right now, which is supposedly we're in the era of the superstorms and that people have to start really paying attention to what's happened to our weather and how things are changing. I mean, I've been hearing that on the news a lot, like on NPR, Fresh Air, they were talking about how this is the new normal and we're going to be seeing the craziest storms you could ever imagine. So I think that's what I'm Life watching. Change. I'm watching for that. I'm not really, I mean, yeah, people die. People die all the time from heart disease, mm -hmm. from smoking, from things they can control, you know. So, yeah, I mean, how many people die every year from texting and driving, right. eating and driving? Yeah. So it's like, I don't even look at the deaths, but I am looking at what, how different this hurricane is from hurricanes in the past. And this is this the beginning of hurricane season? How bad is it going to get, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people are ready for it to be right now that they're going to have a, a hurricane that's going to destroy New York. But guess what? It might not be right now, but it might be in the next year. It might be next year. Mm -hmm. You know, and so one guy tweeted, um, you know, you are unwise to underestimate the power of hurricanes just because it didn't happen this time. And if it becomes like the boy who cried wolf, the overhyping is what creates the mindset that this isn't something we have to take seriously the overhyping means people go oh that's what they did last time i'm not going to pay attention this that's time true. they will overhype it no matter what because they want the ratings it's not yeah. about what's actually happening and i my my point just to repeat is that as of north carolina which was a couple days ago it was clear it was not going to be this murderously devastating thing unless it did a freakish upsurge and found new energy as you you said katrina did which it did in the in the gulf it just didn't happen. So, uh, yeah. But they can turn. And um, my only experience with a hurricane was last summer when I went to Mexico and we had a hurricane hitting. We were on um, um, 
where were we? I don't remember. Not Cozumel, maybe Cozumel, but the, the hurricanes were on either side of us. And I sort of felt the force of it, even though we weren't right in the hurricane. And that was some scary shit, man. <laughs> that was harsh. And I thought at the time, you know, this is really freaky. And I can't imagine what it's like to be right in the middle of a hurricane. And if New York City ever really was in the middle of a powerful hurricane, I mean, that would be a story. Right. Oh, so, sure. I, I, you know. So you didn't answer my question before. Did, have you gone to the historic old place in Cornell, California, which is above Malibu? No, never. I've never even heard of it. Just been out here forever. I just. Okay, you know, so why is it called Old Place? It is a uh, restaurant that was. Um, it, it, it feels like you've walked into McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh my God. It's a, it's a 19th century establishment. It has an old player piano. It has people sit and eat largely uh, on the, uh, uh, the bar. Uh, they, they serve on the bar. There are also booths and there is an outdoor thing. And it's wow. next to the uh, Cornell wine tasting room. There's, it's also near a uh, uh, place called uh, Road, Roadhouse or Road, Road Store, Rock Store, Rock Store which is a big biker place that uh, Jay Leno and uh, other um, upscale bikers drive to on the weekends. And it's up in the hills? Yes, you go uh, either, depending on where you're coming from, if you're going south on Las Virgenes Malibu Canyon from 101, you go down to Mulholland Highway and you take a right, which is to say you go to the west and you follow it for about five miles. And, hmm. that, and there is actually, it, it is a town, it does have a post office, it is called Cornell, and the old place is, is there, and it's very, very, very nice. It's it really wow. is McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and it used to be a place that the uh, uh, the Malibu uh, kind of cool guy set, like John, Steve McQueen and Sam Peckinpah and uh, Jason Robarts would go up to, you know, and yeah. hang out there. They have pictures of everybody from the glory days of this place in the '70s. I first heard about it when I saw John Landis's film uh, Schlock, in which he played a gorilla monster he was, he was like 21 years old did you ever see that flock mm -mm, i never did well, but it's just a satire of, 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 a, of a gorilla monster movie uh and he had a scene at the old place and i was just wondering where that was when i saw him use that locale and i learned about it later so anyway so is it is it expensive uh, i would not call it uh, expensive and was it what kind of food uh, plain old McCabe and Mrs. Miller food, which is to say uh, steaks and oysters and, uh, you know, it's not uh, uh, gourmet cuisine, it's, but it's, it's fine. It's good. It's Does good. it have any vegetarian food? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you went with Dylan? Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. So he's out here visiting you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's nice. And, and totally on the scooter the whole time. He just goes mm -hmm. off on the scooter and uh, comes back like three hours later. That's a job. Oh my God, that's so funny, really. Just like his old dad. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, did you take any pictures there? Uh, two of them that are up on the site, and they're crummy pictures because I didn't bring my regular, regular camera. But I do have a link to the, uh, to the site, and it has a whole history, and it has um, a menu on the site and the whole thing. This is what I get for not visiting Hollywood elsewhere today. Uh, hold on, stop, stop. Plane going over. Uh, what happened? Can you hear me? Yeah. What okay. happened? Uh, the cat jumped off and uh, <laughs> pulled the wire out. Sorry. <laughs> Which cat? Oh, it's the fat cat. <laughs> 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 oh, 
I love the fat cat stories. It's so cute. You could do a children's book called yeah. Mouse. Okay, here's the dinner menu. Uh, oak grilled black Angus sirloin for 19. That's pretty good. You know, 19 bucks, you know, for a sirloin steak. Uh, um, fish of the day. They have a chef selection. They have a beef stew. Uh, chicken and uh, chicken pot pie, grilled vegetable salad, $14. It's not going to kill you at all. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the desserts, you know, it's very much of an American, you know, apple pie plate. They have a bat draft beer for $6 for a pint, a true pint. And it's not too bad at all. It's very, very nice. Mm, sounds great. God, I want to go there now, really. Yeah. It's very, very, uh, very pleasant. And it's nice to see, you know, you're kind of part of a, of a historical... Uh, there's a vibe up there. Uh, Peter Strauss, remember Peter Strauss? Mm -hmm, from sure. Um, you guys didn't take the scooter out there, did you? No. <laughs> it's too far. We never. I never go great distances on the scooter. Is it scooter strictly for going to Santa Monica or Venice or to the market or whatever? Is know? it past? Um, uh, is it past um, Paradise Cove? No, no. Um, it's above the hills, above uh, the hill, above Malibu in the hills. Uh, Paradise Cove is um, beyond, a little bit beyond Jeffries, which is out uh, to the west of Malibu proper, the the downtown Malibu, the city of Malibu, the, uh, and that is about uh, eight or nine miles, ten miles. Uh, this is above Malibu. You go into Malibu Canyon and drive into the canyon, where suddenly you know you're in. Colorado or something. It's you know how dramatic that is, and then mm. you finally get to the um, to the state park area, and then Mulholland Highway, and then you take a left or the right depending on which direction you're going. Oh, that's so exciting! That's so neat. I'm gonna have to go to your site now and look at that. It's a it's a it's, an, it's a definitely an Emma excursion. You really like it. Oh it's, yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't even know about it. I've lived here all my life. I had no idea. They don't so. uh, uh, advertise, or and it's certainly off the beaten path. You have to know it's there, and it, there's no signs. There's no. And it's all about word of mouth, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so let's briefly talk about the little thing I got into with uh, Chris Tapley about. Uh, uh oh. Tuck it right. Um, basically, I, I thought it was great what he was predicting. He believes that uh, Tuck ride, which by the way, you, uh, you and I are going to be uh, uh, be there in four days. Four days. We're going Jesus to be Christ, man. And uh, uh, the first leg of our journey, which is, will begin in three, because this is uh, Sunday and it would be Wednesday, so that's three days hence. Uh, so it's uh, right around the corner. So anyway, he said uh, three predictions, which I believe is, is likely, uh, and I certainly hope to see them, which is uh, Carrie Mulligan, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, uh, movie Shame. Mm -hmm. uh, with, Carrie uh, Mulligan's in it. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, with Michael Fassbender. And there's that. And then there's, of course, Alexander Payne's The Descendants, which I, I have read and I know is a good script. And I presume and hope that it's going to be a, a good film uh, with, you know, Clooney, of course. And, um, uh, and then David Cronenberg's uh, Dangerous Method, which uh, a friend of mine, a reputable, smart, connected friend saw it thinks it's really good and brilliant, actually, and he says it's like uh, Dead Ringers is the one that it's most similar to. Oh, no way! That's what, that's what he said, if you're going to make an analogy. So, so. Oh, so anyway. is he connected with it at all? or hmm? Is he connected with the movie? Oh, does he have an invested interest? No, yeah. he, he's uh, not, not, not in a, he's a uh, outside guy who just saw it. Mm. Anyway, so Chris believes 
Also, however, now I don't know where he's, he's intuiting or he, whether he just believes this or, you know, someone told him or something, but he believes that uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which is a very good film that I, everybody saw at Sundance and then played again in Cannes. Mm-hmm. Did you see it in Cannes? Or, I did, uh, uh-huh. Okay. And what did you think of that film? I wasn't as blown away by everybody else, but I appreciated her performance and the performance of the sister. And I liked the weirdness of it, the eeriness of it. It reminded me of that movie Open Water where the two divers go out into the water and they get eaten by sharks. Mm-hmm. So I liked the creepiness of it. I liked how we don't really know what happens to her at the end. Is it assumed on your part that any person who would be... It's about a, a young woman who has been part of a uh, bizarre uh, uh, cult, uh, quasi-religious cult, uh, with, a, with a charismatic, domineering... Uh, uh, leader and their um, and it's about sexual enslavement of the women by the men. It's about uh, you know keeping the world out, as many cults are about. You know, it's about it's sort of like a branch Davidians on some level. It's also uh, a little bit of Scientology. It's it's just a creepy cult basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's understood that she's too she's not the smartest, sharpest tool in the shed, and when she is. Uh, extricated herself she's gotten herself out of there because she knows it's not pleasant she she needs to but she can't bring herself throughout the entire film to say i was part of a group i had to get out of there i felt you know those words do not escape her mouth Hmm. and i found that a little frustrating that that didn't happen at least in the third act yeah, I was frustrated by her character. I was frustrated by the whole movie, but I took that to be intended frustration. Like, they want you to be frustrated and uncomfortable, you know, and that's what I, I kind of appreciated about it. How sick can you be to be, be unable to simply say those words after you've been away? And particularly if you could maybe get your sister or her husband to be, a, you're afraid that they might come after you or something, you know? That's well, they're, like, yeah, exactly. They're, um, she's been brainwashed, you know? She, that's what happens. You get brainwashed. So, but we're sitting in an audience and we're waiting for her to wake up from the brainwashing and do something besides be brainwashed because that's not very interesting dramatically. And the fact is, she doesn't do anything other than what does she do? She well, the, uh, she sees that they're coming for her. She sees a guy on the other side of the lake, and she goes, "Uh oh!" And we go, "Uh oh!" And then it kind of, I guess they kind of get her. Is that what happens? I, mm-hmm. I never really figured it out. Well, I could argue both sides of it. I can argue the side that says it's a brilliant movie and it makes you feel uncomfortable and how great is all that. And I can also argue, you know, what a pretentious piece of shit. <laughs> I can do both. You know, it's funny because I can see it as both kind of movies. I mean, I, I'll probably never watch it again ever in my life because it was one of those films that's just too frustrating to watch. And there's unless you're turned on by... Um, Elizabeth Olsen, which a lot of people are. She's got a great body, and she's nude all the way through it, and she's an Olsen sister, and she's beautiful. And she's probably going to get awards attention because of that, because it's a good performance, because she's sort of famous, and because she's beautiful. You know, All of those things um, play will play into that. She'll be a star. This will launch her career. But um, And that's really what it's about. It's all about her. Um, to me, but a lot of people, you know, like Guy Lodge and stuff, they're like, oh, it's so brilliant, it's the best movie in the world, And but I think they like the ambiguity. Um, they like the fact that, that the, the filmmaker isn't telling you how to feel or what to think, and it's just like sort of letting you dangle and be uncomfortable. I, I like about it also, I, but uh, I, mean, I again say, you have to develop it, it has to go somewhere, it can't just stay 
in this ambiguous middle ground. It's fascinating to see the flashbacks and see that, that house robbery thing where they're going into that house with a couple and everything. That was. Mm. It, it, to me, it felt like, I mean, if I'm being honest about how I felt, mm. I mean, I appreciate it. I do. And I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie at all. But, no, um, but if, if I had to be honest, I'd say it, it feels like it's lacking a third piece of the story. Like there's just something left undone and unsaid. Like I didn't think they went far enough with showing us what went on. I think they intended to show how damaged she was. I mean, the the scene, well, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but there's a scene where she is, is forced to do something or attempted to force to do something she really doesn't want to do. And that should be enough to tell you that it was really bad. But I guess because we've seen things like Helter Skelter and, you know, the Manson family and... Um, <clears throat> talking about the, the couple in the house? And um, Jim Jones. No, I'm talking about the... The sexual there, stuff? Wasn't there something in a forest where uh, there was a gun involved? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, that scene. Okay. It's supposed to show that it's just how far is too far, and you know. Um, and that her, her emotional damage is from that, you know, is from mm-hmm. having to do things like that and be under such control of a man, which is interesting because it's kind of a, a partner film to um, Vera Farmiga's Higher Ground because there's similar movies about religious fanaticism and um, I know but Sasha I'm trying to ask that you know we are sitting there (laughs) in a a theater you know we're watching this you know is Guy Lodge and you and I are sitting there and it is not interesting after a certain point certainly by the time the third act rolls around for her not to do something other than just oh I'm afraid to say anything I better go along with I've been told Mm -hmm. I'm a a teacher you know that is boring in the third act it just is oh I felt so too but we seem to be in the minority on that so anyway uh, Chris I know is he seems to be already convinced um, that it is uh, a landmark film and he's dying to see it and for whatever uh, reason I don't know if he's heard anything but he believes that's going to show up and I thought felt that it was wrong of uh, Tom Luddy and um and uh, and Gary Meyer and the, the woman who also programs with her, um, can't remember her name now, to bring in a movie that has been so thoroughly uh, 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 around the festival circuit already. Um, you know, Sundance eight months ago, Cannes was four months ago, and I think it's uh, you know you're paying seven eighty for a festival pass to get uh, to see a movie like this, which is you know apart from how good you think it is or whatever. It's it's old news by by people that are in that in the the, the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that you know a person buying a pass who go, goes to this every year, and they're obviously this this is not for the press. Press is part of it. You can buy a ticket or not, but it seems wrong. I don't. I just don't think it's uh, very. Uh, I, I feel kind of burned if they're going to show that there. I just think it's uh, you know. Yeah, I thought the idea is. Fresh from the oven, you know, this is the new stuff. Here comes the fall films. I know, I felt the same. I felt disappointed that that was there, only because I've already spent so much money now, and I don't want to cease, you know, have that be the big surprise. Well, I don't know that it is, again. Chris thinks maybe, you know. I, I've heard that they really are going to bring in Lynn Ramsey's film again. I don't understand why anybody would feel that uh, excited about that film, but that's going to come, and that's a, a canned film also. Oh, you're talking about um, We Need to Talk About Kevin? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, see, I, I was much more excited about that one than, than Martha Mary Macy May or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, we Need to Talk About Kevin, to me, is a real movie. Like, it's a good movie. Um, the other one is interesting, 
but it's more like it's a it's sort of a launching pad for the director and for the for the main star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I was also told, incidentally, by a person who does know what's going on, that there is going to be one movie there, and he knows for sure it's going to be there. The, and the way he described it is no firm release date as we speak. I mean, you know, 2011 release date, but it is, will have one eventually. And it is a semi-likely uh, awards contender, that, and it will be there. So that, to me, sounds automatically... Uh, that's not... It's either Albert Knobs, but that's not Albert Knobs, he said. And it, or it's the Luc Besson film called The Lady. Oh, you think it's one of those? Well, the, both of those films, Albert Knobs and The Lady, do not have, as we speak, distribution. And we know that Albert Knobs is going to be a... Uh, can, uh, awards contender for Glenn Close's uh, performance, probably, and also um, we know that um, uh, the the politically correct uh, tone of the Luc Besson film about a heroic uh, woman who was under house arrest for a, a decade against a you know repressive uh, re- regime in uh, Thailand, mm. uh, you know, so that'll be a, a movie that people want to see. Mm. And it's a strong one, but Michelle Yeoh is the, will play the, uh, the lead. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's probably going to be the, the lady. So. You do. Well, that fits. He's for sure, he's certain about that. He, and the description that he passed along applies, to my knowledge, to only two films. So what else is not, doesn't have a distributor. And yet, once it does get a distributor in the next month or two, will be a likely awards contender in some capacity. What else, what other films would it be? Yeah, you're right. If it doesn't have a distributor, then it can't be any of the ones I was hoping it would be. (laughs) You know, like uh, extremely loud and incredibly close. I want to see that. You know, I mean, like bring on the the entrees. You know, (laughs) it's like I've had enough of the appetizers. I feel like I'm in that. You know, the show where the three judges sit there and they taste the food. It's like (laughs) it's all experimental. Some of it's good. Some of it's undercooked. It's like come on already. Let's let's see the good big Oscar movies. You know. But um, incidentally, they are going to show uh, Focus Features is going to show Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy in New York this coming week. Oh, my God. Really? Some folks. Uh, I guess that's the people that can't go to Venice to, to see it. I'm asking them again if they can. I don't know that uh, it, it is believed that it's not going to show up at Telluride. I don't know why it wouldn't. Uh, but um, uh, uh, somebody who knows about the logistics, I mean, Focus is very budget minded and he believes that if they are in Venice, which they are, of course, uh, they'll have to fly everybody all the way from Italy to Telluride, and that is expensive and time-consuming, and (laughs) 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 it's as mundane as that, so that's... that's (laughs) Well, that's interesting. I can't wait to see that, too. It sounds pretty good. yeah, so I guess we'll wait and see see about that, but um, what was the thing you got into with Chris? Well, I said it, I thought it was wrong. I thought it was uh, a burn. I felt kind of like burned that they're going to show the Sean Durkin film, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. And he said, hmm. it's not about you, you know. And uh, Oh, was, he did. He got mad at you. Did you write that on your site? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, okay. And uh, he said uh, also that he believes that uh, the skin I live in will be there. Uh-huh. That, you know, the, that's <laughs> uh, it's a good element. He does, he's incapable of making a bad film, but it's not mm. major. It's not like, whoa. Let's bring it to Telluride. Yeah. But are there any other, besides the two that you mentioned, is there any hope of any big Oscar movie going there, do you think? Three. I mentioned three. Yeah, but they're not big, big Oscar movies. And this is not big? 
It's yeah, it's moderately big, I suppose. But we already knew that was going. Do you think that there's a chance that any any film that nobody knows is no. going to be there will pop up, like the way back last year? Apparently uh, not. It's uh, the the likelies are are uh, uh, Carnage is not going to go. I'm told. Um, the um, no, I don't know that Albert Nobbs will go. Uh, maybe it will. Um, Albert Nobbs would be big. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. yeah, if that went, that would be big. That would be a big deal to see that early for sure. The uh, the George Harrison film would be would be cool to see. Uh, I would um, the three and a half hour George Harrison film. The uh, I don't know if Ides of March is going to go or not. It, well, uh, at any rate, it'll be nice to get out of town and see Colorado. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really pretty. Um, so do you want to talk about, Phil's not here, but should we talk about box office anyway? Do you want to? Do you have any desire to? Yeah. Um, like, uh, he's, here's, he, he, he has a whole report up on the site, and basically it's the help again. Uh, despite the hurricane, it, uh, it did uh, bring in 14 and change. God, that's, so that's two weeks at number one after its opening weekend. That's huge, man. It's at 96. And, uh, God, that's incredible. So it's going it to be like 50 or, or higher movie. Who knows? And should we dig a little bit into the gurus of gold, their, their latest predictions, or do we not want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, um, I, I responded to the gurus, and I thought that uh, it's um, unfortunate that they, uh, uh, they always go default to the, to the big movies, uh, yourself included. You know, it's got to be, it's going to be, you know, the, the one everybody expects to be the, the front runner almost, you know, is the, is the Spielberg. And, um, uh, you know, that's just a natural thing to, to assume that uh, because of the emotional element, because the, the play is so big in New York right now and has been in London and everybody has to see it when they visit. But, um, uh, you know, uh, they, they, that's what, they, what was their second? I forgot. What was the, 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 it was War Horse and then what? What was the other one? Uh, let's look it up. Hang on a second. Like when I was telling a woman that I know about going to see the cancer movie, a movie that was once called I'm with Cancer and is actually now called 50 50. Mm -hmm. She did not want to know about that film, you know. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, don't know how. Many people are going to be interested in seeing a film about a uh, man of only 27, I think. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a young guy. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty darn good. It really is. And uh, it's one of the best things that Seth Rogen's ever made. It's really quite a formidable film. She doesn't want to know, but she doesn't want to go see and will not see under penalty of being beaten by the stick, a movie about a guy uh, coping with cancer. And most people probably are not going to want to see it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why. I think 20-somethings will because their frontal lobe isn't fully developed yet. And so they're not f faced with mortality, you know. Maybe mm -hmm. they'll think it's depressing or whatever, but when they think about death, it's still romanticized, you know. It's uh -huh. not bleak and grim as we all know it to be. Right. Um, thinking about Steve Jobs um, mm -hmm. finally stepping down from Apple which is a huge thing. I mean, I've been a Mac person since the 80s. <laughs> I mean, it's like ever since I've been using computers, I've been using Macs, and I've been following Steve Jobs. And yeah, in a way, it's just product. And yeah, in a way, they, it sucks because they make you buy a new one every year. And yeah, in a way, it's all branding and nonsense. And um, But here's Steve Jobs, you know, the American dream lived out, millionaire, billionaire, one of the richest men in the world, 
can't, and as Bob Marley said, it can't buy you a minute more of life. Mm -hmm. You know, the bleakness, the reality of it is that yeah. it, it'll get you, you know, and I don't know that it's my number one thing to do to sit there and watch 50-50, but I would do it because of Oscar. Um, I'll do it for the Oscars. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'll watch it to see their performances and, you know, to see if it is as moving as you say. Yeah. Um, go there. It's what they're trying to do pathetically, I, I would add. They're pathetic. They, they're letting people... Uh, play with the idea that it's kind of half a comedy that you're going to have a good time because it's funny. Well, it's funny in the sense that Seth Rogen is in it and he adds humor like you know, the best friend with the smart ass cracks and the humor that comes out of some of the situations. But there's, you know, I, as I wrote, take the needle out of your arm here. This is not a funny movie. This is a movie with humor. This is a movie that's lifelike. Um, no, um, lifelike film is devoid of humor mm. uh, the darkest films have some jokes in it um, uh, if they're at all lifelike because uh, it's never far away but if, if it's just one color then it's going to be a, a fake feeling film on some level so um, yeah. uh, that's the uh, that's what this thing is there's no way it's a comedy but they're trying to sell it as kind of a comedy that you're going to have a good time with which is crazy. Cancer is fun. <laughs> and I have a good time with it in the sense that a good, a good movie is a good time. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not funny. Oh, God. So, uh, the, the other likely I'd tell you about is The Artist, by the way. That's, the, uh, that's another one. that everybody's... Another one we've already seen. I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking here is it's, it's only four days and it's not at all like Cannes or Toronto. So there's time maybe to I go up in the mountains and, and you know, take a nice hike or something, you know, because uh, I'm there's not going to... There are a lot of things to see out there, apparently. My friend was telling me about, he used to live up in Durango, and he used to go to Telluride a lot, and he said there's there's a lot of cool sights to see, sure. old train stations and stuff like that, so... Yeah. Silverton. Anyway, so the top one is War Horse. The second most... Uh, uh, keenly anticipated best picture film, according to the Gurus of Gold, is The Eyes of March because uh, they, they quite uh, reasonably and, and probably accurately sense a, a good, strong political drama because it is based upon a vetted, uh, powerful, well-liked play called Farragut North. Mm -hmm. But it's been expanded to include a presidential candidate who is not in Farragut North, who was expanded to include the George Clooney character. So. Funny that the two top movies are formerly plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for the guru's sake, but we should say the overreaching idiocy and ridiculousness of the gurus that you can't, mm -hmm. you can't, uh, you you can't leave out of the discussion is that these are just people spitballing yeah. movies they've never seen, no one's ever seen, based on the people involved in the subject matter, and that's n that's no there is no there there. I mean, it's not anything anybody can hang their hat on except for the fact that last year hang the hat on the fact that Farragut North is a good play and they didn't start from some um, you know they started with a solid play and they built upon it I so, know but it's just important to me to remind people of the insanity of this process which you know when I started doing my site I never did that I never talked about Oscar contenders that were never seen but it somehow became the norm to do that and so it's sort of acceptable in a weird, crazy way that we can sit there and say, this movie's going to be the front runner for Best Picture, yet no one's ever seen it. Even after Munich and mm -hmm. even after Dreamgirls and even after these movies that were supposedly going to be the Best Picture winners, you know, never took yeah. that spot. 
um, even after all that, we still don't learn our lesson. We still, we're back because it's all about, you know, positioning and reminding lazy voters what to vote for because most of them don't sit there and watch all the movies. Most of them don't take it seriously. They just, what am I supposed to, oh, that one. Okay, great. I'll vote for that. Never for, I'll never forget that really funny uh, line that David Carr wrote when he was still um, doing the New York Times uh, uh, Oscar thing. When they announced the Best Picture nominees for, um, uh, it was in early 07 when they announced it was for 06, the Dream Girls year. And his thought was when they didn't put Dream, work, Dream Girls in for 10, he said, Are they expanding the Best Picture category to 12? <laughs> Dream Girls. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Where's what happened? You know, it was a sense of shock. You know, did, I know did, he was so great. He's so great. Um, I, you know, the sort of lacking in a lot of the Oscar analysis is is um, <laughs> satire and humor. It's like people take it so deadly seriously. I mean, I know I take it seriously. I do, but I don't take this part of it seriously. The predicting part because it's nonsense. I mean, come on. Of all these movies, The Artist, Midnight in Paris. Tree of Life, which is at number 10, is never going to be there. And The Help, which isn't at number 10, but should be. These people are nuts who aren't putting it on the list. Um, uh, it's going to be uh, one of the uh, Best Picture nominees. Oh, of course. Oh, my yeah. God. That's a no-brainer. My God. It's already almost at $100 million. Are you kidding? The thing is on fire. It cannot, I mean, it will not be denied. And we're probably even looking at, like, a Best Director nomination for the guy. And Oh, that far, do you think? I think... I think it's the money, you know, it's always about the money, but it's more than that. It's not just the money. It's that people really love the movie. I don't know how men, if men love it or not. And that's important because the demographics of the Academy are mostly male. So, and that is sensitive and understands what really great acting is. Good acting, really strong acting, ha acting you can take home and, and keep, keep keeping yourself and remember. Yeah, um, that's it. It's the old Davis and uh, Olivia Spencer, I think are really good. Um, mm. I think that there's a chance Terrence Malick might get a director nomination. Um, I'm not seeing Tree of Life getting in there at all. Well, I don't know. I, I can't say that because the thing that keeps me from saying it is that if, it, if it's anything, it's a number one movie. It's somebody's favorite movie. It's not going to be a number two, a number three, a number four, a number ten. It's not going to be any of those. It's either you love it and it's yeah. your number one or you absolutely hate it. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, it's believed incidentally about the artists, it is believed in some quarters that it is so not going to resonate with with um, viewers, with people that pay to see movies. In what quarters? Um, people outside of the the, the, the movie Catholic uh, realm, if you will, the people that are um, uh, devoted uh, movie buffs. Uh, anybody that loves movies will love this film, but it's it's just you know it's it's a very familiar story. It's a curio, I think. Uh, it's not a, a, a great film. It's a fascinating little experiment to redo and reabsorb ourselves in a, in, a, in a sound film. No, it's none of those things. It's absolutely a good movie. I don't think it's that I mean, good. I think when you have it, it's like... It's really this, good. I mean, it's lovely to see. Lovely this to see. screenwriting teacher once said to me in UCLA, he was, oh, not to me, but to the whole class, he said, um, there are only two kinds of genres, good movies and bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> and the artist is a good movie. It might even be a great movie. And I think that oh no, it's not just a silent movie. He plays with sound in that, and the the way he plays with sound is so spectacular and brilliant. And it was took our breath away. And can it was like <gasps> you know the same way that 
when people first heard movie stars talking, they went, <gasps> you know, when you're watching the silent movie, all of a sudden it's, I mean, it's a whole history of, of movies, right, in one little movie, and it's, it's everything. It's romance. It's suspense. It's action. It's tragedy. It's comedy. It's love. Totally fine with seeing uh, Singing in the Rain, um, uh, you know, Sunset Boulevard, uh, A Star is Born. You're, mm -hmm. you're completely fine with seeing that done all over again, exactly as it's been prescribed, as we have it written in our DNA now. We've seen that story. You're totally fine with seeing that same story trotted out for this thing. I'm not seeing the same stories trotted out. I'm seeing I'm seeing an, um, a, a look back and a, um, a reflective artistic interpretation of our film history at a time where storytelling has, especially in America, not so much in Europe, but storytelling has taken a backseat to nonsense yeah. <laughs> and pandering to a, you know, an immature, um, you know, attention deficit disordered audience of spoiled Americans, you know, and it's like, I think the storytellers here have, have um, really, they really need to sit up and pay attention to the artist because it's a movie that tells a story without it's a story. We've been, words. if you've seen A Star is Born, if you've seen... No, it's without dialogue. Huh? It's totally without dialogue and it's all dependent on the actors and it moves you anyway, you know? And, and that's the thing. You, sometimes you have to get back to the basics to really understand what it's all about and that's what this movie does and it does it at a time when we really need it. Mm. I'm not going to be that negative on it, but I wasn't that moved. I was more like 7.5, 8 move. You're up there in the 9 range. Or nine oh, I'm in the 10. It, for me, it's number. It's 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 way up there. It's not quite number one yet. I don't know. I have to see all these other movies, but it might end up being my favorite movie of the year. I don't know. But it, I loved it. Absolutely. thought it was just brilliant and, you know, perfectly acted. The tone is, it, it's funny. It's... Um, He's great. The guy, the lead actor, is just great, you know. And you're with him the whole time. If I if I could change anything about it, I'd probably recast the lady, the lead female, mm -hmm. a little bit. I just didn't think she was up to his level. Well, she's a uh, is she any more uh, movie starish and kind of you know you can't take her eyes off her than say Janet Gaynor was in the 1937 The Star Is Born. I never understood why Janet Gaynor. <sighs> going to be a big star and she was going to eclipse Red Frederick March. I never got it. Got it. Well, you know, even the weird, the weirdish looking ones like Greta Garbo and um, I mean, they had something to them, you know, mm. that they had a watchability to them. I don't think she does mm. particularly. It doesn't bother my love right. and appreciation of the movie. I just don't think it's exactly right. Like that character should be somebody that you see her on screen and it's like X factor, you know, wow, you know, and she... Um, but he's like that. The guy has the X factor. He absolutely does. So, I don't know. I'd see it again, 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 and again. I just loved it. I thought it was just a great movie. And I think it's going to do really well with Oscar voters. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I would love it if it becomes a popular film and um, all power to it. I certainly don't think it's a bad film at all. It's a, mm. it's a pretty good one. It's just uh, I'm not doing somersaults over it. That's all. So. Yeah. Well, the, okay. So, on Gurus of Gold... I'm surprised to find that David Poland, Steve Pond, and Ann Thompson all have the artist at number one. Just pretty incredible. I mean, I don't know if they're talking about most likely. Chris says that the Gurus is always about most likely to get nominated. I always look at it like what's most likely to win because I'm being forced to. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous to think of anything most likely to win right now, but... That's Listen, how I look uh, at Sasha, it. Sasha, you, you just said very emphatically that the help cannot be denied because of the box office. The box office for the artists, I think you really have to face this eventually. 
it's going to just sit there. It's not going to go that far. Yeah, it's outside of the realm of the believers and the Catholics. It just, um, I would be amazed if it becomes any kind of hit. Catholics? Movie Catholics. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant real Catholics. People um, really believe in movies as, in terms of Catholicism. You, you really take it seriously. You're not mm. there like to get something out of it, to get paid well. No something. way. No it's, way. It's going to do great. Are you kidding? It's going to do perfectly well with the demographic that it's intended. It's not going to do well with the Michael Bay demographic, you know, or the drive demographic. Um, well, that's good if it happens, and I'll be very pleased to see that happen. I don't believe it will at this stage, but maybe it will. Great. I have, I'm the only one that has drive on my top 10. I just mm -hmm. want you to know. Nobody else is predicting it for best picture. My predictions right now are mm -hmm. um, War Horse, Ides of March, The Artist, Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close, The Descendants, Midnight in Paris, J. Edgar, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Help, and Drive. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in the norm. Everybody else is predicting Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, and Tree of Life. Well, um, um, did you happen to read uh, the five-star rave from the Empire guy? For? Uh, for, I'm sorry, for the, uh, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy? Mm-mm. And I, I found that yesterday and put up, uh, they don't have it online for some reason. I had to rely upon scans that some other website did of the actual magazine, but they don't have it on online as, as we speak. Hmm. But um, now, whenever a British publication cheers on a British film about British culture, British, you know, spooks, MI5, uh, you get a little suspicious. Are they just sort of standing up? To mm -hmm. this? Exactly. So I have to wait for somebody else to, to start to really get uh, enthused about it. I should say that a a friend who did see it, along amongst some other, some others, uh, was um, he feels that the Alec Guinness uh, miniseries from the seventies was uh, was uh, much more absorbing, a better thing. All, all in all, this is of course about two hours. However, it's um, others did like it quite a lot and think it's uh, really, really, uh, you know, very powerful, good film. So, hopefully. well, it's possible. I mean, hell, it's got Colin Firth in it for God's sake. It's good. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to do just fine. Um, my question is, um, the two things that I'm sort of still iffy on are, of course, movies I've already seen, like Drive and um, Tree of Life. I am on the fence a little bit about Tree of Life. Right now I'd put it at number 12 or 13, because I'm thinking if all the other movies tank, it could still um, you know, rise up. But what do you think about Drive? Do you think it has a chance? I, I know that what happened with me on the third time around is that, that I got um, a little irritated by the, all the knives, all the all the slashings, mm -hmm. uh, the, all the blood. I loved it. The only thing I didn't like about it was the um, the music. I think that he picked songs that were too literal, too on the nose. I would mm -hmm. change that in a heartbeat because. I would love to see that movie with your choices because every time I listen to this podcast, I fall in love with everything that you put. For opening music, and your oh, uh, taste is uh, exquisite. So oh, I completely you. Uh, uh, support your uh, your your view. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of you know I, I call it gay music. It's kind of like fluttery. Um, <laughs> has this kind of like it's it's Euro trash, is what it is. <laughs> no. Sorry, European listeners. I didn't mean any insult to that. It's just that in the '80s we had a phrase called Euro trash, and that's the kind of music that he puts on there. But I think he does it deliberately. Like it's supposed to be sort of campy a little bit. 
that's why they have the pink swirly writing and mm-hmm. um, I see the thing is for me about the Oscar race and we'll see if I'm right I could be totally wrong and if if this movie has a the proper studio behind it publicizing it it will, should do really well but um, it's always about the Oscar story more than it is about the movie itself like with the King's speech it was partly the movie but it was partly this guy who had a speech impediment who was like 78 or whatever when he wrote the screenplay and mm-hmm. you know yeah. Um, that was an Oscar story. Uh, Social Network didn't have one. It was just a good movie. Yeah. Um, this movie, Drive, is the only Oscar story that it has. Is that wow? This this very promising director is suddenly coming into the f- forefront, and he's his movie's going to make a lot of money. It's just a genre film, though. Most people see it as a genre film, and that tends to not be thought of in terms of best picture. I don't know. Look at uh, District Nine. You know, it was the same kind of thing. It was genre. It was, but it was a director you could get excited about, and he was, you know, he was being celebrated then. And this this director of Drive, Renfield or whatever, (laughs) what's his name? Nicholas Winding Refn. R E F. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. Renfield. That's a Dracula character, right? Renfield. Renfield. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's what I think. I think that it has a really good chance, and I'm surprised no one else picked it. And why do you think that uh, some... No, I, I see that um, uh, two people uh, amongst the gurus have faith in young adult, and that would be uh, uh, Mr. Bresdekin and uh, Greg Elwood, because they have faith in uh, Jason Reitman, and they believe the Bill Simmons line about this being a the best uh, Charlize Theron performance. Uh, this is like a you know, a great performance of hers. It's her Jerry Maguire performance, whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but no cool. one else even has it on their charts. So, so people have discarded young adult from their minds because they took it out of the fall festivals, right? Is that what you're... Oh, well, that's a good reason. I didn't even think of that. My, my only reasoning was that Diablo Cody's sort of on the outs. Nobody really likes her anymore. I'm sorry, Diablo Cody. I think you're great and mm-hmm. talented and everything, but you know, she's not the flavor of the month anymore, and that's how it goes with women, you know. Um, so it's going to be hard for people to get excited about her writing. Her, but her, it, uh, of uh, uh, called, uh, you know, Lamb of God is really pretty good, though. And, and it's, she's creating characters, female characters, that are uh, do not follow any particular, you know, you haven't seen them before. There's mm-hmm. something new about uh, both young adult and uh, Lamb of God. Yeah. So. Well, I, I can't wait to, to see them both, and I'm, I'm interested to see where she's going with it. I just hope that she continues to go deeper and deeper and doesn't rely on, like, I have witty dialogue, you know, because that won't take you very far. It takes you movie number one, and that's it. And then you have to start digging deeper and exposing more of yourself and really looking into the human experience, and then you become a great writer. So we'll see. We'll see if she does that. Do you believe, at one point, do you believe uh, that people are finally going to give up on Midnight in Paris thinking, well, listen, it's, in the end of the day, it's really just a, a very, very likable, obviously very popular film, and, and let it go with that. You know, it, it's the, it has the highest dollar count of any Woody Allen film, even though mm-hmm. when you invest for inflation, it's the fourth uh, biggest grossing Woody Allen film, the first mm. three. Mm-mm. Never uh, underestimate the power of Woody Allen mm-hmm. with the Academy. They love him, and I think that uh, a lot of people actually love the movie just on its own. I mean, everywhere I go, people are talking about Midnight in Paris. You know, I mean, one thing it's just one of the best movies that has been released in theaters that people can talk about. Adults, adult people, you know, can talk about it. But it, but even young people like it. It's got that 
um, likability thing. It's romantic. It's sweet. But for the Academy, I think it's all about Woody. You know, so we'll see. We'll okay. see if I'm right. Um, now, as you know from um, Clint Eastwood having spoken to Anthony Bresnikan about J. Edgar, that, and uh, you know that that's <clears throat> the whole thing about that is uh, you go into that thinking, you know, gay Edgar Hoover, and it's not really going gay to be. Gay Edgar. <laughs> is that the, name, the new name? Gay Edgar instead of J. Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's what you think, and that's what the, the thrust of it is. Basically, he was an unhappy, pissed off, uh, uh, d dictatorial uh, bulldog personality and everything. Uh, Lance Black is basically saying because he didn't acknowledge who he was. And it was all suppressed uh, rage about, about everything, particularly in the time that he lived in. Uh, Clyde Tolson was more in touch with who he was and who they were as a couple but not, uh, not J. Edgar Hoover, and it's a tragedy. You know, it's like Brokeback Mountain, sort of. You know, a guy who will not acknowledge, will not go there, and he ends up, uh, you know, an unhappy man. Well, I love what Clint Eastwood is doing with his career. I really love it. I think he's, he's amazing, and he, he surprises me all the time. Um, even though his movies aren't, you know, they don't hit with Oscar. I guess who cares? You know, I love what he's doing. I loved what he did with Hereafter. Um, this idea that they have to do the perfect dismount and get a, uh, you know, I, I thought that 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 you know the the writer of that was it was embarrassing the way he jumped ship um, on Hereafter instead of standing behind Eastwood and what he was doing and trying to do something new. And Clint Eastwood is one of the few American directors with the power and the ability to kind of do whatever he wants, and I liked it whatever he wants is stuff that he's interested in and stories he wants to tell and so what if they're not hitting with the target demographic and so what if they're not all you know people are all excited about them and they get best picture you know i'm really curious to see what he does with it i do think it'll be a best picture contender just because you know you can't underestimate him and they have such a powerful publicity team behind um all their films warner brothers but um yeah. You know, I celebrate you, Clint Eastwood. I think you're rad. And I hope you keep making movies for another 10 years until you drop dead on the set, you know. That's the way to go. Yep. Yeah. So. Anything but, anything but going to a motion picture rest home. That's, uh, uh, I, I would uh, think dropping dead on the set is the only way to go in life. So. Yeah, Maybe. Um, but I, I like what he's doing, and I, I think that he is at a point where he's not afraid to try new things. And sometimes the critics dig it, and sometimes they don't. But it, he's leaving behind a body of work that is impressive. He's not doing the same thing over and over again. He's not trying to relive the Clint Eastwood thing. He's comfortable with new identities and new ideas flowing through him, you know. Right. I don't like that. Yeah. So um, what do you think, just to shift gears here for a second, about remaking The Wild Bunch with Tony Scott directing? Ois, mein Gott. <laughs> That's all I could say about that. You know, I'm totally with Rod Lurie with Straw Dogs. I like that he's taking on something. You know, I didn't get to see it. I didn't get invited to that screening, so I don't know if it's good or not. But um, I like that he's that he made it. It's fine, you know, but... Wild Bunch is a whole different thing. It's like remaking Casablanca. You know, it's just you just don't go there. There's no need to. You know, there's already the greatest one of the greatest films ever made, and I don't think you can duplicate that kind of success. William Holden, come on, who's going to play William Holden's part? Somebody said something funny yesterday. They said that there are no older actors that everybody's been 
Botox and uh, Harrison yeah, Ford's like the only one. Yeah. Nobody has a lived-in face any longer. Mm, God, William Holden was so gorgeous. Oh, there just aren't any like him. But Harrison Ford comes the closest, I guess, if you had to pick one. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, I hope that that movie turns out to be something, that one that he is apparently might make, the one about Wyatt Earp. That might be a mm. good film. Yeah. So are they saying that, that Harrison Ford might play the William Holden character? Oh, no, I haven't heard that at all. Oh, okay. uh, that would be a good fit for him if they ever do it. Um, uh, here's uh, my our friend, uh, Marshall Fine. Uh, Never mind how much awareness there is of a film among audiences. A classic is a classic, and there's no point in remaking it. Mm. Do you remake Citizen Kane because it's available? Or, or remake It Happened One Night, A Rebel Without a Cause? There are works <clears throat> that are sui generis, and it's really is, is it really that much different from colorizing black and white movies because more audiences like color? These movies are classics for a reason, and eventually the people who are discerning or inquisitive will track them down and watch them. The idea of an action hack shit heel, Tony Scott, taking his shovel to pack and pause masterpiece makes me want to retch. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tony Scott. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Is like it's like a That was a. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of Man on Fire and other of his films. Um, I think he's uh, he is. You know, he's a commercial film director, but I, I really love what he does when he's on it. So. I think it's embarrassing. I don't know why anybody would want to, especially him, would want to remake that movie. You know, really. I, I... Nobody's seen it. Um, um, I believe that if there's any analogy, like Rod Lurie has told me that the awareness of there even being another film called Straw Dogs that was made and that came out in 71 uh, is unknown to all but maybe 2% of the uh, people out there yeah. and uh, amongst that how many of those 2% have seen it? I know it's really really weird to, to acknowledge and all of a sudden become aware of how different you are from the general population you know like how much older you are how what, what a different generation you come from you know like I come from a generation where it would be like humiliating to not know that Straw Dogs was that already made, you know. But mm -hmm. the newer generation, they what do they know? What do they care? You know, there's nobody there to teach them, you know. And film critics are dying. And um, you know, it used to be every week there was Ebert and um, Siskel talking about film mm -hmm. history on TV on mainstream ABC. You know, 6.30, there it was. And it was them to kind of educate the general population about films. We don't have anything like that now. Mm. We only have Preaching to the Converted on TCM, you know, um, so. Mm -hmm. yep. I think it's great that, that, uh, that we, ha we did live in a time when there was such a mainstream voice like Ebert. Mm -hmm. um, it's gone now, but so I guess we have to rely on the bloggers, the popular bloggers to um, talk about film history and hopefully teach audiences. Um, about it, but I totally 100% agree with the only one I'd the only person that I would want to see remake um, the Wild Bunch would be like a foreign film director, you know, a Korean film director, or maybe a French or somebody to like reinterpret and pay homage to Peckinpah. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we don't need an American action director remaking that movie, we just don't <laughs> mm. make another movie, make a different Western. Why does it have to be that one, you know? Surely, with more screenwriters in Los Angeles than there are people, they can come up with an original story. You know? Yeah, they they are, but um, I think it's one thing we all understand that there's there's one thing that terrifies um, 
people that are in the power to greenlight movies, it's original stories. Um, they want things that people already know. And so it's pre-sold, pre-digested, uh, positively inclined to see it. Because, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Or, uh, you know, the, the unknown factor scares most moviegoers uh, in, a, in a profound way, apparently, because uh, there's, there's a reason for being terrified of, of coming up with original story. I guess so. It's all about the money, right? That's what's killing American cinema, killing it. I mean, all the we're get our assets are getting kicked by the foreigners at this point. What's killing everything? Uh, our whole quality of life is the lack of education and the uh, knee-jerk avoidance of, uh, of, uh, of, of you know, originality and 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 being uh, uh, so stupid that there are a lot of people out there that will probably vote. Uh, thinking that Rick, for Rick Perry and think that he's really the guy that might help things out, a man who doesn't believe in evolution, who actually calls Darwin's theory of evolution a theory out there. Oh, that, God. This, this is what we're doing. This is a, you know, we're in this country. It really is 2011, and this guy really could be president of the United States. It's sickening. I but know. There are enough stupid people out there who are um, just so crazy. Uh, you know, well, we see, we, we created a, Bush administration, we voted for him two times, and he ruined things and, and you know, put us in this horrible economic, uh, you know, somewhere between a recession and a depression. Uh, and Obama's had to spend and borrow and, and jack up the economy with infusions from government money, and we don't like that because that's spending. So let's get another Yahoo from Texas who's going, yeah. who's even worse than Bush was. I mean, it's, it's like, he, he just he's like, even worse. He makes Bush seem like a smart and intelligent president. But, you know, um, this reminds me more of, like, the Carter-Reagan changeover. You know, I feel like we're about to head into another period of Reagan as Reaganomics, which I'm sure the Republicans would love. They loved him. But um, How is... We're not in a Jimmy Carter area now. It uh, feels like it. Sure it does. When you have the liberals, the Obama backers starting to attack him and pile on, that's what you got. Yeah, but he... What I mean is, uh, yes, he is failing in the way that Jimmy Carter seemed to be failing in the latter part of his... uh, Around starting around seventy nine or so, mm-hmm. uh, but he's um, but he's uh, very much of a corporate um, go alonger, and um, it's being said that the people that really control the purse strings in this country they want Obama in because he's not threatening the corporate structure. He's a guy who's basically going along with what the way things are. Uh, they don't want a Yahoo who's a purist idiot like you know, you know Rick Perry. I mean, it's, it's astonishing that the citizenry. He's going to probably get it. He's probably going to beat Romney because Romney... I know, uh, of course. Mildly, They're not going to elect a Mormon. Um, no. Well, you think that's why? Because Yeah, I do. I think uh, it comes down to that. <laughs> People are just that deep in America. That's what they'll do. Um, Romney is no shot. No shot. I you mean, know what, uh, who I'd like to see if I were... Uh, if, if someone's going to beat Obama, I'd like to see somebody like Huntsman, who's a, 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 another Mormon, who's a reasonable fellow. Uh, he's not an idiot. He's not. Yeah. A, he's not a Tea Party Yahoo. Never going to put a Mormon in the in the White House. Not not for a while, anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mormonism is still considered just totally too bizarre, mm. with the FLDS and the. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's not the Mormon Church, but still, Mormonism is is freaky to people. It's just totally freaky. Um, if we were a divided nation, if we had you know left United States and right United States, he he might have a better chance. But. Um, I don't know. It's it's depressing. The whole politi- political discussion is depressing to me because I'm fine with Obama. I mean, he's he's, uh, yeah, he's a corporate guy. But you know what? They all are. They get elected because of their ties to corporations. You know. 
So I, who ever expected anything different? I, I hate the liberals who expected him to be Superman and to turn water into wine, you know, and, and expected him to suddenly be, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I think something snapped in the liberal community when he got pushed around by the, the maniacs in the House and he didn't, like, call a spade a spade and call them maniacs, which is what they are, people willing to, do, you know, basically run the ship on the rocks and uh, they, they were the ones that uh, flirted with, uh, you know, the debt ceiling not being uh, extended, you know. And uh, he's, he just seemed to be too accommodating to people that do not deserve the respect and who are holding hostage, you know, basically like a criminal, you know, saying, if you don't give me what I want, I will shoot this dog. You know, that's what they're basically <laughs> doing. Yeah, and, I know. He's dealing with a bunch of crazies, though. I mean, and he's... I mean, I'm not going to defend him because I don't honestly understand what's going on enough to say anything educated on it. But um, I try to understand it, but it all confuses me. And you get so many different points of view and people are always, you know, who do you trust and mm. whose opinion matters? And um, so I don't really know. But what I do know is that I, the man that I voted for is the man that's in the White House. Mm-hmm. I don't see him as any different than I saw him at the beginning, like everybody else seems to. I guess they were expecting miracles, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I was expecting somebody to stand there and tolerate the hurricane. That was it. Somebody stand up and take it. Right. And that's what he's done. He stood up and he's taken He killed, you know, um, Osama bin Laden. You know, he's dealt with the some of the student loan problems. I mean, I, I, again your readers are going to be embarrassed to listen to this, so I'm not even going to go on. <laughs> but I'm just going to say that for me, as a voter, he's fine. He's earned my vote again, you know, for what he's doing. He's the best president I've seen, you know, in my lifetime, except for Clinton, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, but. All right, well, um, we'll let it go, and we, uh, we, we can resolve at this point to, um, to, to do a side-by-side podcast sometime on Sunday. From uh, from Telluride. It's from Telluride. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Sounds well, good. Yeah, you know, we can do it. We should choose to do it the uh, the day that seems to be less busy. Uh, I'm sure that Saturday and Sunday are going to be very busy. Uh, but you know, with all these movies that uh, we've already seen, and like I said, uh, you know, Martha Marcy and and uh, and um, you know the, the Tilda Swinton movie. I, you know, maybe there'll be some time. To, to sit down and, and do it from some scenic spot. There's going to be a nice party, an outdoor party. The outdoor screenings I'm looking forward to, and I'm looking forward to the breathtaking mountains. That'll Me sit. too. I can't wait for that. Um, yeah. How about the strange bunking in a, in a house with a whole bunch of people situation? What's that, that going to be like? It's not a problem. It's just gonna, It's a big home. It's a, it's a big Colorado home, and there's going to be plenty of you know, uh, my my whole approach to uh, lodging at during a film festival is that you know bathroom, uh, clean bed, sheets. That's it. You know, don't need anything else. I, I, yeah. I can sleep in a closet. Yeah, I could definitely sleep in a closet. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. I could sleep in a car, yeah. for that matter. Well, no, you have to be able to stretch out though. You can sleep in a sitting position. <laughs> I have before, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dylan and I, one time, we were driving south in France down to uh, down to Po, P-A-U, a political film festival, and uh, we couldn't drive anywhere. I just was too tired, and, I, and I, just a little voice told me. So we pulled over to a rest stop, a uh, place with a you know gas station and a diner, 
and we went into the parking lot and we just like leaned the seats back and just that was it and we did about three three and a half hours and that's what mm. i needed so. yeah if you're really tired you can pretty much sleep anywhere you know mm. yeah uh, all right well all let's right. uh let's uh um we'll be seeing each other wednesday of course and we'll uh we'll um be back uh, uh next saturday or sunday okay so. but stay on for a minute so i can tell you something sure. okay all right Okay, bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And we'll be back next week. The bumper music was Bob Dylan, Hurricane, Live, the Bootleg Series. Thanks for listening. Shit was about to go down When a guy pulled him over to the side of the road Just like the time before, the time before that In Patterson, that's the way things go If you're black, you might as well not show up On the streets, unless you wanna throw the heat Alpha Bello laid this ramp on the cops Just nodded her head I said, wait a minute, boys This one's not dead They took him to the infirmary And though this man could hardly see They told him he could identify The guilty man Four in the morning Then they hauled Ruben in Took him to the hospital And they brought him upstairs
He never had a chance The judge made Ruben's witnesses Drunkards from the slums To the white folks who watched He was a revolutionary bum And to the black folks he was just a crazy Sunrise, while Ruben sits like Buddha in a ten-foot cell, an innocent man. 